it's the blockbuster film time, isn't it? It's that season in the year when you hear the big blockbusters. Dunkirk is a big one at the moment. And I think Ruth would be the kind of story of the Bible, if it was better known, could well be adapted into a big Hollywood blockbuster film. You can probably imagine the poster, the publicity for it, with a very soft-focused, cheesy photo of very attractive Hollywood stars playing Ruth and Boaz in the middle of this wonderful uh, picture all about Ruth and sort of almost entirely missing the entire point of the story. But you can sort of see it there, can't you, the publicity of it. Uh, And then listed down further on will be the actors that play the supporting cast uh, all around Ruth and Boaz. And certainly so far, as we've gone through this story, the focus has been on Ruth and on Boaz. We had the family right back at the beginning, uh, Naomi and Elimelech, who travelled out of Bethlehem to a faraway country, or, or nearby country actually, Moab. Whilst there, tragedy hit three times, and the father and both sons of the family passed away in the space of ten years, only for the mother, Naomi, to return and to come with her, one of her daughters-in-law from a, a foreign country, but who wanted to go with her mother-in-law, to love her, to cling on to her, and to support her, even at her own cost. Then we saw over the middle of the story how God was at work, actually, making sure that they found the right field owned by Boaz, a kinsman redeemer, someone related to them, someone who could pay to bring them back inside God's people and give them something of a a future and a hope and inheritance. And we see that love story developing between Ruth and Boaz and how much Hollywood would love that. And then we get to the very end, and we've seen some wonderful things happen. We've seen how Boaz was prepared to take take that step to be prepared to pay that cost. To, he wanted to marry Ruth. He'd seen just what an incredible lady this girl was. And so we get to the end of chapter 4. And Boaz and Ruth are married. The Lord gives them uh, conception and Ruth has a son. But what we see in this last bit actually is the focus moving away a little bit from Ruth and from Boaz and onto some of the supporting cast. And I want to just think about three supporting cast members for us this morning because actually that's who the story finishes with. And this is a little bit controversial, uh, so that will make you listen, won't it? The first supporting cast member is God. Okay, God is there but is not a main player, at least on the surface. Actually, there's only twice in the whole book that God is specifically mentioned as doing anything. Only twice specifically and explicitly mentioned. One is right back near the beginning that we're told that the Lord gave a harvest back in Bethlehem. And that's what prompted the family to return. And then right here we get the only other specific mention of God's intervention. When they came together, the Lord made her conceive. It seems that Ruth and her first husband, they hadn't been able to have children, having been married for a number of years. And I think it's just worth pausing there, and I have realised as I've reached adulthood, sort of, um, that actually that is a far more common situation than I think I'd realised growing up, and that is an area where we need a lot of sensitivity as to that, um, that for some people God uh, gives the blessing of children, and for others he doesn't, but it's not a in any way a reflection on those people at all. Uh, that actually it's, we're all loved and used by God, whoever we are, whatever we do, wherever we come from. Uh, but in this case, God intervened and gave Ruth a son. 
And so you see that God's role in this story, at least on the surface, at least in the way it's described, is like a bookend at the beginning and the end. It's like a bracketing of the whole story. We see God acting right at the beginning to bring a harvest, and we see God acting again to bring a baby. And I think that's meant to see that it encompasses the whole story. It brackets together from the beginning to the end. It wasn't that God took an interest at the start and then forgot about them and then took another interest later on. But actually within those two events, we're meant to see that behind the scenes, God has been working God's plans out through all the ups and downs of life. The beginning to the end, God has been involved, engineering, weaving together, planning those lives to arrange them just as God wanted, according to God's plans. So there's the first supporting actor, although actually we see, unlike Hollywood, that in fact God is the star of the show. But secondly, what about Naomi? Now we call this book Ruth, and for good reason, because she comes out of it as such a wonderfully inspiring and impressive person. But is there an argument to be made, perhaps, that actually this is Naomi's story more than Ruth's? Yes, God uses first Ruth and then Boaz in order to bless this family, but it begins with Naomi. It begins with Naomi's sadnesses, her feeling of emptiness, and her bitterness towards God. And by the end, the focus again moves back to Naomi and shows how through Ruth, through Boaz, actually, by the end of the story, Naomi now is full of hope. She's full of purpose. She sees a future. Her story, her life has indeed been turned around 180 degrees. And now she's looking to the future with confidence, trusting in God and giving thanks for all that God has done in her life. So maybe, actually, this is more the story of Naomi. Someone who begins with saying, I have no family and no future. And ends by saying, my family has a glorious hope for the future. Verse 14, the ladies gathered around, say to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a kinsman redeemer. So how do we apply that to us? I think there's two possible ways to look at Naomi in this story, whose life was turned from bitterness to rejoicing, from emptiness to fullness, from hopelessness to hopeful. Two ways I can think of to try and apply that to us. One, I think, is very flawed and very dangerous, and the other is very glorious indeed. Here's the flawed way. It's called the prosperity gospel. It says that if you trust God enough, then in this life you will have health, wealth, and prosperity. That's the flawed way of seeing it. Saying that Naomi's example can apply to each and every single one of us. And if we trust God enough, then every prayer will be answered. We will never have any health concerns. Every bad situation will turn around for the good. And you will hear some people preach stories like this one in that way. That if we love God enough, God will always bless us with the things that we want. And that is one of the worst things you can say to people. How do you say that to somebody who's dying in a hospice? How do you say that to someone who's grieving over a family member? How do you say that to someone who knows that, in this life at least, things are not going to turn out all happy and rosy? Because we all know what life is like. We see it in ourselves and the people around us. It doesn't always have a happy ending. 
No, the prosperity gospel is one of the most dangerous things that we can encounter because it pretends to be the truth, but is in fact a lie. Actually, Jesus said, if you follow me, life's going to be difficult. Yes, you'll have me with you, you'll have that knowledge of my presence with you, and you'll have wonderful power of the Holy Spirit to do things that you couldn't otherwise have done, but it doesn't mean that everything in life will always be easy and comfortable and plain sailing. We can't simply lift Naomi out of this story and say to ourselves that if if this is true, then our story must be the same as hers. It just doesn't always end like that. If it did, then there would be Christians that are still alive whose prayers for healing would have been answered eventually. Now, I believe that God heals. I believe that God answers prayers. I believe that God gives us wonderful blessings where God steps in and does amazing things. But actually, the way to see this is not just in this life, but actually the promise of Christ is of a new creation. That Jesus is going to come back. And when he comes back, he's going to restore the world to the way that it should be. In Revelation it says that means no more sickness, no more tears, no more suffering, no more sadness, and no more death. And it's at that point that we will prosper forever. But actually sometimes we have to suffer in order to get to share in Christ's glory. We share in his sufferings in order to share in his glory. Not each of our situations will be directly comparable to Naomi's. And yet we can trust that actually, because of what God has done, there will be a future for us. And what we see in this story as you read it through It's not that God blessed Naomi because Naomi had a wonderful level of faith or uh, she came to church every week without fail or she'd memorized large sections of the Bible or she'd given all of her money to charity or any of those things that we might think might sort of earn ourselves a good standing with God. Well, Naomi hadn't done any of those things. She'd left God's country. She'd been bitter towards God. She'd given up hope. And yet we see as we see all the way through these pages, that God's grace found her even when she was not looking for God. That God acts first. God reaches out to us in love, even when we don't deserve it, even when we don't expect it. God touches our hearts and chooses to love us even when we've turned away. That God loves us so much, such is God's love, that his grace means he chooses to love us just as he chose to love Naomi. She didn't deserve it. I don't deserve it. You don't deserve it. And yet, God, in his wonderful love and grace, reaches out and says to you, I'm going to love you more than you could possibly imagine. More than you could ever deserve. More, in fact, than you will ever know. That's the true gospel. That's what we see in Naomi. Not that our life will always suddenly turn around the way we want it to. But even in the reality and the mess of life, God reaches out in love and promises us a future with him when we turn to him. So that's two of the supporting cast. And if you're still with me, I hope we've got time for one more. Because this is the best bit. This is what I've been waiting for. To be honest, this is why we're doing the book of Ruth. Is because <laughs> I wanted to get to the genealogy at the end. And we sort of have to go through the rest of the story just to get to this bit. But first, a question for you. Because the final one, the final character is the Redeemer. The Redeemer. But here's a question. How many Redeemers are mentioned or referenced in the book of Ruth? How 
many redeemers? You'll only know this if you've been with us the whole time. How many people, how many redeemers are there referred to or implied in the book of Ruth? Okay, number one. There's the redeemer who doesn't want to redeem the family, the, the relative who doesn't want to do it. The cost is too much for him, he doesn't do it. That's number one. Number two is Boaz. Boaz is a redeemer, he's related to the family, and he's prepared to pay the cost. He loves Ruth, he cares for Naomi, he wants to bring them into the family. Boaz is number two. Then there's number three. Did you hear what they said to Naomi in that? Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a next of kin, a redeemer, a kinsman redeemer. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has borne him. Naomi's kinsman redeemer isn't Boaz. It's the baby. It's this little helpless little baby, but that baby being born says to her that her future and her hope and the things that she dreamt about for her family and their life back in God's people, under God's blessing, is a reality now. She gets towards the end of her life and she can look down and she cradles this baby and she experiences God's love. Because what she needed was that answer to say you're included you're back in there's a future there's a hope your family will not be forgotten they will not be left outside and here is 10 tiny little toes 10 tiny little fingers and some dirty nappies to remind you that God loves you that little baby is Naomi's redeemer that's three should we push it to four what else do you notice about that Redeemer? I'll give it to you with all the letter Bs. A baby boy born in Bethlehem. A baby boy born in Bethlehem. In the line of King David. 1,000 years before Jesus was born. A boy whose grandson would be King David, the great king, the one in whose family was promised another redeemer, a messiah, a chosen one, God himself come to redeem his people. That little baby was born to a lady who did not expect to have children And yet the power of the Lord came upon her and she conceived. And she had a baby boy born in Bethlehem. And we're talking about Ruth and Obed. And to me, clear as the day, we're talking about Mary and Jesus. And suddenly we are part of this story. Because in just the same way that that baby says to Naomi, you're included, you're loved, you've got a place amongst God's people and a future forever, we look a thousand years later to another baby, another boy, born in Bethlehem, and he says to us, as clear as those ten tiny little toes, ten tiny little fingers, and he says, you have a redeemer. You can know God's love. You can know God's welcome into his family. You can know a future and a hope 
and an inheritance. Just as clearly as that baby was a redeemer to Naomi, so Jesus Christ can be a redeemer to us. And the price that he paid in order to do it was to live, to die on the cross for our sin and to rise again to new life. So that people like us, who have no inheritance, had no right to a claim amongst God's people, are given it freely, graciously and wonderfully through this little baby who grew up to live the perfect life, to die for our sins and to rise again. A little baby boy born in Bethlehem. And I, I don't know why, but it always chokes me up when I think about it. And I've been thinking about it a lot over the last two months, and it still chokes me up because it makes me realize just how much God loves us. That he was putting into place this plan more than 1,000 years before Jesus was born, more than 3,000 years before all of us were born. Yes, even the oldest people here. God was already putting it into place so that you, you personally, you, your name, could be redeemed into God's family when you welcome him through faith. 